0: If you're going to self manage your rental properties, you know, I'm a big fan of finding that proper tool to get the job done. Well, we want to tell you about rent ready. Rent ready is a really awesome property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone, collect rent online and get paid. Find that perfect tenant with their screening and listing services and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using rent ready's app too. They can pay rent using card, ACH or cash Set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it, and even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. Did we also mention that RentReady is unlimited and all of this is flat priced? No tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for people to manage their own properties so you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And Rent Ready has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the REI Mastermind Network. You can get Rent Ready's annual plan for only $54 at rentready.com when you use our special code, MASTERMIND. That's rentready.com, R E N T R E D I.com, with code MASTERMIND, M A S T E R M I N D, at rentready.com to get Rent Ready's annual plan for only $54.
1: You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network.
0: We have Brian Miller on the call, and I really have been looking forward to this conversation, Brian, because I understand that you're an active film composer, and if people tune into the video, they can see the multitude of instruments, and I think they must be album covers or something above your back door there. What I find fascinating is that somebody uh, that I know is probably as successful as you are when it comes to composing and and the music industry, that you are pretty deep into real estate investing. So I I really appreciate your time and I really want to make sure that everybody has your contact information right off the bat. So let's start with that. If uh, people want to chat with you or get a hold of you, what is the best way to reach you?
2: Sure. Um, for the real estate related business, the best way to reach me is at Brian, B R Y A N, at capitalstackinvestments.com. So, capitalstackinvestments. And you can go to our website as well. So, capitalstackinvestments.com. We have some giveaways there. Um, my partner and I, that run Capital Stack, we're giving away a, a PDF that's called 50 Lessons from 50 Deals. And it's actually it's closer to a hundred lessons. So for each rental property I bought or investment we did, we talk about what went right, what didn't go right and the lessons we learned from that. So it can be a great resource for you save you years of experience and, and probably tons of money. Um, if you can learn from things that we, you know, even if, if projects went right, there's always ways like it could have went better or here's why the profit didn't turn out quite like you thought or, here's where you thought you were going to make your money on cash flow, but actually I made 130 grand on appreciation, right? Or I made, you know, 50 grand on debt pay down. Um, So there's just going back and looking each of the projects that I've invested in. It's just a real interesting kind of deep dive into what worked, what could have went better. What did you learn from that? What would you do different next time? So it's a great, great resource. It's free. So just go over to the capital stack investments uh, fill out the form and we'll be happy to send that to you.
0: Yeah. You know, you know, that is really something and to your testament there. I don't think I've run into anybody who has basically wrote down a lesson for every property that they've handled and dealt with. I mean, that what a great exercise and a great idea. I mean, I, I think more people should do that. And I think I might steal that from you.
2: Happy, I'd say uh, steal away. And actually, it's been interesting. I've been putting it together basically as a resource for people in kind of in our network. But actually, even in going through the process, it's refreshing my memory. I'm realizing things. It's like, oh, wow. Because sometimes until you really analyze a deal, you don't really you think, oh, this worked out pretty well, or this is the deal. Like some properties are like, let's just say it's kind of a break even over the course of time. But if you look at like, oh, every year I have like $7,000 of appreciation and I have $4,000 of equity pay down, well, that's 11, 11 grand that I'm making, even if you're kind of at a, a level playing field. So there's just so many different ways to win in the real estate game that you have to look at what's happening on a on a macro level. And sometimes you don't realize that in year one or year two. Year two. And a lot of people starting out, you know, they get their property and they're like, oh, wow. Well, you know, they're making, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars cash flow. And then, like, the roof goes out or they got a a leak or you got a refrigerator to place, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, well, this just doesn't make sense. But when you look at what happens over 10 years or 15 years, um, just in going back and doing this exercise, it's like, oh, I started out renting it for 700 bucks a month. And now we're at 1,300, right? So, Mm -hmm. You, you buy it based on the numbers and trying to make sense at, at 700 or 750. Um, some of those are during like 2009, 10, 11, where rents were a little depressed because of everything that was happening in the real estate market. But now that things have swung around, you get the the rent increases, you get the appreciation increase, and you just realize where you're making your money. And you know a lot of the income has come from appreciation. It's not something you want to bank on because you can't predict it. but the reality is buying in the better areas where you're going to get more appreciation. Those have actually worked out superior to uh, things that look better on paper. you said, Oh, the cash and cash is going to be 13 on this, but it's a C plus or a C minus neighborhood. The reality is you just don't get the appreciation bump in that neighborhood where the things that you thought you were going to make eight, you actually did way better at because you got this big appreciation bump. Mm.
0: No, that's really interesting. So, uh, and that's something to really call out here, you know uh, I think a lot of people, especially when they first get into real estate investing, they are looking at those less expensive um, maybe even poorer neighborhoods uh, something that might not be the property is is pretty uh in rough condition. let's put it that way, but you're really looking right. for trying to balance it out you know we talk about the for-profit centers of real estate, You're. it sounds like you're really trying to find that balance between those four quadrants.
2: Well, yeah, you definitely want the, the cash flow to be substantial so that it's not a big drain, especially as you're getting started. You don't have as much capital. The nice thing is I have a portfolio now. So if we end up with a $2,000 ex- unexpected expense, it kind of balances out with all the different uh, properties we own, so it doesn't become a big deal. But when you have one and you get a two hundred or two thousand dollar hit, you know it, it can be significant, especially if you're on the starting out phase. So um, it's just good to look at that. But I think um, I can confirm this from fellow investors and some very experienced investors. They would confirm the same thing. The numbers going into a C or C minus property look superior. Like mm-hmm. here's the rents but what you underestimate is the amount of grief, the amount of turnover, higher chance of having an eviction, the renting to a tenant with a lower credit score, who is gonna have more credit issues, more cash flow issues, more keeping a job issues, and mm-hmm. as a result, you're gonna have more turnover, you're gonna have more costs, and you're gonna make less money. So mm-hmm. it's kinda of counterintuitive to buy the, the the B minus, B, B plus house, because you're thinking, I'm not going to make as much or I'm, I'm closer to break even on that. But the reality is you're going to get more appreciation in the nicer neighborhood. And in my experience, partly because I was buying a lot of single family in the downturn when prices were really cheap, but mm-hmm. I've definitely made the bulk of my profit from appreciation play.
0: No, that that's really interesting. And it's kind of refreshing from what we've heard in the past from a lot of other investors. Um, so I, I, one thing that's an obvious question that I think people are going to ask is like, how did you make this jump? You know, I, I, I run typically run into, it's kind of interesting. I've, I've, like I mentioned, we're closing in, in on 200 episodes of the show. And I've talked to a variety of investors, strangely enough, there's a lot of professionals that uh, also work in real estate, you know. Whether it's and it seems like it's kind of heavy towards people that are in technology, or they're heavy in in like uh, nurses and you know that type of stuff. I mean, you're the first right. musician uh, that I've really run into at your level to to jump into this. Like, what caused you to make that leap and and find this as an investment vehicle?
2: Sure. Well. The reality is, as a professional composer, we don't have a union. Um, we do, You don't have a pension plan except for the one you create for yourself, right? So I, I knew I wanted to make music and make a living, right? And so I was trying to figure that out. That was the maybe goal number one. But in that, I also knew that I was responsible for my own future, right? And I was responsible for my own retirement. And so that was sort of the catalyst in the early, you know, the first investments where Hey, if I can buy a house and have it paid off, well, when I reach retirement age, you know I'm going to have a thousand bucks a month or whatever coming in, and if I can get five of those, then that's even better, right? So that was the original kind of intent, um, just kind of building um, or buying an investment that would that would eventually create. A large degree of passive cash flow. And I like that so much better. Kind of the traditional advice you get from a financial planner, right? You know, save a big chunk of money and then you get to spend 4% of that a year and you get to pray that you don't run out of money before you die, right? But it's a very, at least for me, it's a very scarcity mentality kind of proposition because you're trying to, let's say you have a million bucks, which is for most people like, you know, the American dream. Well, if you have that, it's like, well, you know, maybe you're going to pull off, you know, 50 grand a year off of that, depending on, you know, what kind of investing expertise you have. But if in the market, in the 4% rule, you'd pull off, pull off 40 grand a year, right? Mm-hmm. So good news, you saved a million bucks. Bad news, I, li- I live in LA. So 40 grand a year is going to be, you know, um, a pretty tough way to approach retirement, right? Right. So, Thinking about that, and and you don't want to re- spend more than that because it's like okay, the model is like you're going to run out of money. And the bad news is you got you got a million bucks, which is the good news. But by the t- every month you're whittling that down, right? And the hopes of like you're dying, and now you're at zero, and you have nothing to leave your kids. And if you miscalculate or you have a couple of bad years in the market, you know, it basically you're out of luck. Where if you get a million dollars of of real estate, right? Um, or you put that same million dollars into real estate, you could actually control maybe four or five million dollars of real estate and you get passive cash flow off that of, you know, 30 grand a month or whatever. Every month you get to spend that. Right. And then at the end, you still have your million dollars of real estate or five million dollars of real estate, depending on how you allocate this. Right. But that same million dollars that's in the market, you could buy five million or you could control five million dollars of real estate with. So That whole idea of this stream of cash flow is just for me especially like I like that freedom of knowing that next month, if if I spend 20 grand a month, next month I get 20 grand coming in, right? Where the other model is here's your 40, use it just for the entire year and then hope you don't run out. So for me, I just think it's a much superior strategy to to approach that financial independence stage. And that's a beautiful thing for my music career as well, because I'm not, you know, things have gone really well. And we bought a lot of property 2009 to 2012 when everything was on sale. So now I'm in a position where that cash flow and that real estate machine is really rolling. And so it it gives me more freedom in my creative choices and what I choose to do, who I choose to work for, who I choose not to work for, as opposed to, in a position where, wow, I got I to gotta keep accepting every possibility that comes my way, even if it's not very good or very lucrative or the people involved they are not the greatest people in the world and not going to be fun to spend the next two or three months with. So that's, that's another beautiful thing about it. It does give you a lot of freedom choices. And I'm still choosing. I, I love writing music. I, that's a fun part of my world. But I also enjoy the fact that I don't have to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I get I get to do it and I get to choose to do it. And so it's just a different way to come to work, knowing that this is, you know, something you're choosing to do. And that this real estate world, because basically, uh, you know, all of a sudden I built another business to run because it it went so well. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate. Like you start making wise choices and it'll start to snowball itself over time. Not not in year two, probably. um, But over the course of time, a lot of really good things happen.
0: You know, that, that's something that I really want to call out. You know, there's a, like an old exercise, like where, uh, you know, in picking a career. I think we're told early on is that when you're picking a career, like if you take the money out of it, what would you want to do? Well, you have ex- essentially have pulled that off by having a portfolio that could actually really replace your daily income. But that's that's a career, that's a job. This the scoring and the music is something that you enjoy doing anyway. So it's something that it's it's a it really is supportive of, of that concept. I, I really think that's neat.
2: Cool. Well thank you very much. It's been a been a fun journey and you know, um the early years in the music business were tough. Like you worked really, really hard to, you know, make make a few bucks. But um I think the same thing in the real estate, like in the early years, you're going to work really hard. Like in the first couple of years of us being in the real estate business, we had worked really hard. We spent a vacation kind of like rehabbing a, a rental house, um, you know, just working really hard. And then the net benefit was like, you know, maybe a hundred dollars a month of positive cash flow, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, didn't look like it even in year two or year three, but now kind of in year 16, it's like, looks like the smartest thing I could have possibly done.
0: Yeah. No, that's another thing that I want to call out. You mentioned, you know, $100 a month in cash flow. And I I do know a couple other people that invest in that B, B plus class neighborhoods. And their initial, at least that first year or two, their cash flow is pretty slim. But we also have to remember that those properties typically we're, we're looking at likely needing less repairs and upkeep compared to, properties that are right. older that are in a C or C minus neighborhood um, where the heater goes out or something goes out and you blow your cash flow for the year. Typically, um, you're typically are
2: exactly. nicer
0: neighborhoods, nicer tenants like you are, like you mentioned, easier on the property. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of benefits in, involved in it. If it's a good fit, that's something that people should really consider. So,
2: And that's one thing I'll give props to my wife to oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say uh, I was giving props to my wife because when we were looking to purchase, I was looking more on a number standpoint, like, what, you know, just basically run the math. It's all about the math, right? And, and she was like, I want to buy a house I want to live in, right? And mm-hmm. as a result, we bought in nicer neighborhoods. We bought, basically, we set criteria then. We only wanted to buy things built 2000 or newer, um, so things were in some cases, four years old, five years old. And so as a result, like we still haven't had tons of maintenance issues or tons of repairs because we basically bought newer stock. And that was because, you know, there's a big expansion in Phoenix. And then when that contracted, a lot of those new houses, a lot of people had gotten upside down with them and they just chose to walk away.
0: Right. Now that's really, in- that's an interesting strategy. And I think that it's, it's an underlooked one which is surprising as well. Um, Another thing that you mentioned, mentioned, and I'm gonna sneak back to something you said earlier, I think it's interesting that you call them, uh, like I think you have over 60 streams, quote unquote streams going now instead of 60 properties or 60 doors. I think that's interesting that you use that terminology.
2: Sure. It's sort of like, um, there was a book I read like uh, lots of years ago about multiple streams of income. So I like that concept. And so I've tried to capitalize on that. And so I have all my kind of rental doors. Each one is like a stream. But then after 2012, we started realizing like there's, there's a lot of work to running a single fam- family portfolio. So then I started deploying money into syndication deals you're buying like a apartment complex or a self storage unit or a mobile home park or a, like a retail sh- shopping center you buy that with a group of partners that all team together and pool their money and then you can buy an asset that you basically um, maybe you couldn't buy on your own and even if you could buy it on your own you probably have to put 50 75 percent of your net worth in order to buy a building like that but as a as a passive partner you can put three or four percent of your investable income. So that allows you to get a lot of deals, which then allows you to have a, a more diversification, which is a safer position than having all your eggs in one basket.
0: So Sure. So can you talk a little bit about like where it sounds like you maybe it's because of these syndications. Are you investing in your backyard? Or are you you spreading out in some of the other states? You've mentioned Arizona already.
2: Sure. Uh, well, I have property in New Mexico. Uh, that's my where I grew up. Um, I have a lot of property in Phoenix. The single family's there, uh, multifamily. I have in Phoenix, in Atlanta. I've had stuff in Texas. Um, so I like all the Sunshine States. You know, Atlanta, Florida, South Carolina. Um, I like all those states with with positive migration and also business friendly, especially for the buy and holds. And you're going to run, operate rental property that southeast Midwest um, I'm uh, like I was doing some flips in Illinois but again political stuff does matter right um, all of a sudden you know the basically Illinois is bankrupt right so what do they do pass laws to increase property tax as a way to solve their problem mm-hmm. right and so all of a sudden that's gonna hamper the real estate market because nobody wants to buy into something that might be you know hey it just went up from I forget the percentages but like 2 to 3% and then it might go to 4 because you know it's like where where's the easy target for politicians to go get money and it's like oh is this target property owners so that makes it less desirable to own property more people it's actually a state where there's net migration people are leaving that state so you maybe you can get lucky there but I'd rather bet on the odds and the math of a state like Texas or Arizona where you have a lot of a business friendly climate and you also have a lot of population growth, a lot of job growth, those are good. So for long-term holds, I like those markets, but I do invest a lot in Los Angeles, my home backyard, and I do development deals here. So I do a lot of like um, building nine unit apartments, building 11 unit apartments, building single family homes to sell. And part of the reason is um, you can build for under 200 square foot here or across the country, right? The the costs are pretty similar, but in LA you can sell that product then for $450, $550, 850 a thousand dollars a square foot, depending on how nice a neighborhood you're in, right? So if you can build for two hundred and sell for five hundred, there's your there's your delta of the math. So I like that play for what we call increasing our capital stack because it's good if you have a hundred grand and you're making cash flow off of that, even if you're making ten percent cash flow well, you're making ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and that's not enough. For most people, ten thousand a year is not going to cut it for retirement, right? So, the goal is: yes, you want cash flow, you want those streams. That's good, but you also want pops to your capital. You want to grow your capital stack so you can get to that $1 million dollars or two million dollars of capital, and then when you're making eight, ten percent off of that, that becomes more of a position of being in a, a kind of a life-changing position. So, I like to utilize both strategies, and I I have a little bit of rental real estate in California, but very little, um, because again, the political risk. You know, there's a lot of uh, free rent kind of. Uh, hey, everybody should have free rent. Um, there should be eviction moratorium, especially right now. Things that are can make it really tough as a property owner. So I'd, I'd rather be renting in a in Texas or in Phoenix or a more friendly state. But I still like. There's still opportunity here. You just have to cater your. I guess your strategy for the market and what the market's willing to give you in that market.
0: No, that's, that's really something that should be noted that you've adapt. You seem to adapt to the situation depending on the environment. I mean, uh, there's be, you know, and that's just a preconception. I wouldn't, you know, I've talked to a few people, investors from California, but they never seem to invest in California in, in any way. Like, uh, but uh, so that's interesting that you found this building niche, this development niche that that can produce results and and adapting to what's around you is there's there's definitely some opportunity to be had.
2: Sure, and it, it can provide superior results um, in some ways, right? In getting that pop, uh, but then in order to basically take your other capital and then turn it on to autopilot and create that stream of rental income, then I want to move that into basically a different state. So just kind of utilizing strategy, like there's opportunity everywhere. You just kind of have to pick it. Like I actually invest in a fund in New York right now and they're buying like properties in the Hamptons and like the super high end kind of New York real estate, but it's a very interesting distressed debt play, right? That, Distressed debt, when it goes into default in New York, the interest rates bump to 24%, right? So mm-hmm. they have they have a real interesting strategy of uh, basically acquiring those notes that are going to be earning at that rate, as long as there's enough cushion there that they're confident someone's going to go buy their note because maybe they're at 65% loan to value. So they're quite confident somebody's going to come buy that note and then they're going to basically be able to to capitalize on that situation. But, you know, they're not doing buying holding hold that market. They, they see an opportunity, they develop a business strategy, and then as a syndicated partner, I get to come along um, and kind of invest in that business alongside them.
0: Yeah. So just to remind everybody, if you're interested in what Brian is talking about, and definitely take him up on those 50 lessons, I guess it's closer to 100 lessons now. It's a free download on his website, um, Brian at CapitalStackInvestments.com. Um, and uh, if you head over to the show notes, I'll make sure to put the appropriate links there. But another thing that I heard about you is that you're so deep now into this real estate investing that you've even invested your children's college fund in there.
2: Uh, yes, so I, I actually um, I started Coverdales for them. Um, and a Coverdale is a a type of uh, educational saving account, Um, you can actually self-direct those. So if you've learned the real estate game and know the real estate game, it's possible then to take those funds that you put into the ESA, invest those in real estate, or maybe use that as, like if you're you're a wholesaler, Jack, right? So you, you could take a couple grand from your kid's account and use it as kind of your earnest money deposit or your option deposit, right? To do a flip, and then, if you can sell that for ten grand, then that ten grand, if it's earned by the ESA, if the ESA is doing this transaction, right, it's the entity that you put on the wholesaling contract, then it's entitled to earn that ten grand and make the, t- and then the ten grand comes back to the edge's educational savings account, which can be used for college. But the beautiful thing is, it's very much like a Roth IRA, so all those proceeds are are not taxed; they're tax free. So it's it's a way to. Um, basically grow, grow your kids' college savings through real estate.
0: No, that's, that's interesting. I think there's a lot of people that are struggling, especially with the cost of college these days and how they're going to pay for it. And, uh, this is a great strategy that people should probably consider. And I actually didn't think of a self-directed IRA in that light. I mean, that's, that's, a uh, that's a slightly new spin spin on it. I know, I know these self-directed IRAs are available, but uh, you can use right. them in this type of situation too.
2: Yeah, I think I have nine different self-directed accounts. So from a defined benefit plan to a 401k plan to IRAs, Roth IRAs, the kids savings account, uh, health savings account, you can also uh, turn into a self-directed account. So uh, there's a lot of options there and, you know, whether you're investing in stocks or in real estate, the idea of being able to self-direct that and have your own investing options. um, It's a, it's a beautiful thing.
0: So I'm going to backtrack just a, just a hair, because, you know, we were earlier, we were talking about that new construction and I get a lot of people asking um, how they find whether it's general contractors and, and builders and, construction people and how far you trust them. And, and, uh, you know, we could just go on and we probably could dedicate an entire episode just on that topic alone, but how have you found your builders and do you do your general contracting on your own?
2: Uh, no, not on my own, but I would say in the kind of the big picture answer to that is, uh, very carefully, you choose them, right? You, I think a lot of, like, learning how to do due diligence and do research and do background checks. Like, it's possible to actually have a lawyer or yourself. There's, like, services like Truth Finder. Put in the guy's name, as much information as you find. And then you find out, like, he's got four lawsuits. He's not paying his kid's child support, whatever. You can find lots of red flags there. And you don't want to find those a- after you've lent somebody 50 grand or partnered with someone on a building. You want to find out that before you do that, right? And so it's really important, I think, um, references. But again, all this stuff I learned some of the hard way. Like, you have to be careful about reference. Sometimes the reference might have a vested interest in the outcome of the deal. So they're really not a neutral party to give you advice. So it's really important to find, like, if I invest with someone, like, I'm making a new sizable investment into a uh, mobile home uh, park investor right and so you know knowing what i know now i did i asked for a list of resources i've called those investors i've done other information on on um, his company his reputation i asked around uh i'm in some investing forums online people talk about their experiences with that investor whether they've been good or whether they've been bad the reality is you you don't know when you're on your own and I would advise you not to make a partnership blind. Like, do a lot of research, spend some time. It's, it's very much like a marriage. Like, you don't want to wake up the next morning in Vegas and realize you're married and you have no idea who you're married to, right? Uh, and especially if they are entitled to 50% of uh, everything you own. So you have to make those choices very carefully. Um, I'm a firm believer in partnerships now. Um, I used to be very much on my own, but I realize there's much more you can accomplish with partnerships but there is, there is risk in a partnership and you have to really learn to vet those out. Like, like let's just say we were going to do a deal together, Jack. It's like, okay, who do I know that's done business with Jack in the past? Who's his former business partners? Can I get a hold of them? If they say like, well, he skipped the business and still owes us a hundred grand. Okay, that's something I need to know. If they say Jack's the greatest guy in the world, I would, you know, I would love to do business with him again. You know, you'll find out, um, the truth by talking to a lot of people that don't have an invested interest. Sometimes you don't know people have an invested interest. That's why you have to talk to a lot of different people. But I have I found out interesting things just from, you know, I flew to Oregon to look at investing in this deal, development deal. Everything looked great. The guy casually mentioned a mutual acquaintance. I talked to the mutual acquaintance and he didn't come out right away. But by the end of the conversation, I started asking some questions like, Do you like this person? Yes. Do you trust this person? Yes. Would you invest with this person again? No. And that's like, Oh wait, what's, what's under that? And to try to talk to them about what's that. So even it took some digging even in that because to figure out, okay, good. So I passed on that investment based on that feedback, but that was, um, it was because of asking a lot of questions and paying attention. And then any kind of mutual connection or people, you know, or, if you can look at their LinkedIn, oh, this person's also connected. You know, I also know this person. Right? That's a good way to say, like, oh, there's five people. So you reach out to the people in your network and say, hey, what about this guy? Is this guy a good guy? What was your experience? Um, but it takes a lot of time. But you got to realize if you're investing 50 grand or 100 grand into a deal, it takes a lot of time to make that money back, right? So you have to, you have to be very cautious on that. And that's partly like with Capital Stack, what we do, we only work with proven partners. So um, sometimes we'll help um, to raise capital for a deal, but we only want to do that into like with a partner that has already performed for us, or we have some experience and history with, because people that do the right thing tend to keep doing the right thing. And people that kind of shortchange the system or or, are less than ethical there, there's usually signs, and usually the problem is you don't look at those signs early on. You just get real attracted to the deal. So it's really important to look very thoroughly at all the signs before you jump.
0: So with that, you know, I, I warned you that we were probably going to go 20, 30 minutes, and we've already went beyond that. Um, but um, with that being said, uh, and before we uh, make sure everybody has your contact information again, um, I always end with, is there a question that you wished I would have asked tonight?
2: Oh, um, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I think the main thing that I want to, you know, I know your audience, a lot of people are getting started. They're trying to learn about this business. Is it is it smart? Is it not smart? Um, it, I can tell you it, it's worked out really well for me, but it's worked out really well after a you know, after a while, right? So it's mm-hmm. gonna take a time. I think if you're, if you're diligent at it, I mean, read the uh, millionaire real estate investor, right? There's a model there for buying one or two houses a year over 20 years, ending up with your 40 houses and just a way to keep cash out refinancing using that same capital then to buy more houses. I mean, that's just a simple model, but like to to read that and get the, get the vision of that, like, oh, what's possible? right? Mm-hmm. And it is possible. It's just, you know, can you find two deals a year? If you work at it, yes. And can you acquire those? And then can you ca- cash out refinance from the ones you bought in year one to buy more in year five? More than likely, yes, right? So um, the, the main thing I just want to encourage people, like, get started, do a lot of research, get, you know, educate yourself. And then at some point, you have to jump and then you'll learn from jumping and then jump a second time and then keep after it. And it probably won't get pretty till, you know, maybe, you know, a few years down the road, but, um, it does get, it does get really nice over the course of time because, you know, you're, you're paying down your property, your rents are going up, your mortgage is fixed. You know, there's a, there's a lot of good things that happen over the course of time.
0: No, I, I really appreciate your time and make sure, um, we will include those links, uh, in the show notes. Definitely take Brian up on his offer and download those lessons learned. I, I can't frankly believe that uh, you're willing to give that amount of information away because I mean, I'm I'm a big proponent, and and I'm sure my audience is tired of me saying it. You either can put in those ten thousand hours or learn from somebody who's put in those ten thousand hours. And if you're so freely willing to give Good that point. amount of information out, please please take Brian up on that. You will definitely find that over at that CapitalStackInvestments.com. And I wanted to call out a few things that I learned from our chat tonight. Um, And one of them is learn from your lessons. And we already just pushed the concept of downloading your your sheet. But um, what an awesome exercise that people should consider going through on a regular basis is what lessons have we learned? Whether it's a good lesson or if, the bit, or if it went right or if it went wrong, there's something to always to be learned there and uh, probably jot it down because I think somebody else might find some value in it. Um, learn the niche in your backyard. I really thought that was interesting that even in LA, although you're not holding rental properties, you have still found a way to capitalize on the situation there. Fantastic. And then don't make blind partnerships. And that not only goes towards investor investors, but when you're selecting contractors, it's amazing how many people um, take the first contractor that returns their call. Um, and I understand how busy contractors are, and sometimes you're desperate. But uh, I think that's really important to try to To vet those out because you are building a partnership and and usually long term commitments there that uh, if if uh, you both benefit it can be a long term partnership. So I really appreciate your time, Brian. This has been fantastic and and as always, I really would uh, love to have you back on the show sometime. We probably could spend, like I said, entire episode talking about some of these just single topics, and we just basically brush the surface
2: good well hope it hope uh your listeners find it enjoyable thank you so much for having me jack it's a real pleasure to be here and uh always learning and growing right i'm doing the same thing i'm always trying to learn and grow and uh get better at this and uh but it's been a real pleasure
0: well thanks and thanks for the lessons have a good night
1: this has been the rei mastermind network